very happy Easter to you. Let me add my welcome to those um, that you've heard already. It is really wonderful to be here and celebrating with you today. I wonder how you felt as you were walking into church today. Were you uh, happy and content and walking in the sunshine, looking forward to a nice bank holiday tomorrow? Were you excited, excited to be coming to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord Jesus? Were you grumpy? Children didn't sleep well, and therefore you didn't sleep well, and Are you distracted by the week to come, all the things that are going to go on and take place? Are you broken by something going on in your life right now? However you felt coming into church this morning, I hope that we are all going to leave rejoicing. Rejoicing. And it's not just that I hope that is going to be the case. Actually, I truly believe that can be the case, even if you are broken and distracted and overwhelmed by what's going on in the world or in your life. And it is all because Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. On Friday, if you were there, we saw, yes, Jesus three times declared innocent and yet condemned to die, crucified on a Roman cross between two other criminals. But what looked like defeat was actually victory. Because as Jesus was dying on the cross, he was fulfilling God's eternal salvation plan, dying in the place of his people, taking the wrath upon himself so his people could have life. Truly, it is Good Friday. But that is not, obviously, the end of the Easter story. So uh, eight out of nine times through the three other Gospels, the three other accounts of Jesus' life, um, eight out of nine times, well, so nine times Jesus explicitly predicted his death. And in eight of those times, he also explicitly said, three days later, he is going to rise again. Death was not the end for Jesus. And in John, we find a couple of examples here as well. So back in chapter 10, Jesus says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and have authority to take it up again. And then in chapter 14, Jesus said, and if I go, he's going to go, he's preparing a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that that where I am, you may be also. You see, Jesus was going to go, but he was going to come back. But just as Jesus' followers hadn't comprehended uh, the crucifixion, when Jesus said, I'm going to die, they they didn't get it. Well, so they weren't expecting Uh, the resurrection either. And today, though, in our passage, we see some of them coming to believe. If you can look down, if you've got the Bible there, look down to verse 8. That's just the the little 8. So big chapter 20, little verse 8. Then the other disciple, that's John, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. He had not yet met with the risen Lord Jesus, and yet he saw and believed. And uh, that is our our first point this evening. Uh, This evening? No, it's still on Good Friday. Um, This morning. Uh, You see it there in the handout if you want to see where we're going. See and believe. 
Now this morning, you may not believe. You may not believe that Jesus rose from death. And in a sense, if you don't, well, you're in fairly good company. The disciples didn't believe that, at least not straight away. Maybe you're exploring Christian things. You're here and you're looking into them. Or perhaps you've just come along because a family member invited you today. Whatever it is, or maybe this is just one of the kind of couple of times a year that you come to church. But I'd encourage you this morning to see, look at the evidence with us as we go. See what John saw and see what you think of it. But lots and lots of us here, we do believe this already, don't we? We believe it. We love the fact that Jesus is risen from the dead. He is alive. Well, again, I want us this morning to see that our believing is based on good grounds. It's based on good evidence that we're not crazy. Jesus is alive. This passage starts with Mary Magdalene, one of Jesus' devoted followers, going to the tomb. And when she arrives there, it's still dark. And she finds that the stone has been rolled away. And from what she says next, we know she must have at least had a little peek in. And this is our first bit of evidence that we're going to see. Our first bit of evidence is the empty tomb. Jesus is not there. She must have had a look because later she says that they've taken him away. She goes in and there is no Jesus there, nobody. Now, that by itself doesn't prove the resurrection. Okay? The fact that Jesus wasn't there doesn't prove it by itself. But that is the starting point. That is the foundation of all these other evidences that we'll see in a moment. Now, there are lots of, um, lots of theories which uh, try to explain away why the body wasn't there. And personally, I don't think any of them really hold much weight. The most common one is that the disciples moved Jesus' body. That they'd come in overnight and they'd, they'd taken the body away so they could say, look, here he is, he's risen from the grave. Number one is that the tomb was guarded, so they couldn't have done it. But secondly, they weren't expecting it. They weren't expecting it either. We see from Mary's reaction, notice that when she notices that there's Jesus isn't there, she doesn't start jumping up and down saying, he's risen, he's risen, he's risen. And neither do the other disciples later on. No, the disciples haven't taken the body away. They weren't expecting it themselves. Instead, Verse 2, so she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, that's John himself, and said to them, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they have laid him. And so Peter and John, they both set off back to the tomb. And uh, it's interesting, so John recording these details, but, but notice that John gets there first. That's the kind of thing I'd have recorded if I was writing the gospel, right? I got there first. Is it because Peter was a sprinter, John was a distance runner, is it because Peter was old, John was young, don't know. For whatever reason, John gets there first. And here's, I guess, evidence number two. So evidence number one is the empty tomb. Evidence number two is, well, we have eyewitness testimony. What is it that Simon Simon Peter and John see? Well, verse five, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but did not go in. That's John. So he looks in and sees the linen cloth. Now, th- these would have been the, 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 the clothes, the, the cloth that would have wrapped the spices around the body. 
And that's what John sees. And then verse 6, Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there, and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Peter and John, they see the the cloth. Now this immediately, again, does away with one of the other theories, that it was a grave robber's. Now, in those days, that was a problem, so much so that actually a few years later, the Roman emperor had to make a decree that actually he brought in the death penalty for those who did grave robbery. So it was a problem in those days. But if somebody had stolen the body away, well, you don't take the body and leave the clothes, the cloth. The cloth was, along with the spices that were wrapped around the body, they were the expensive bits. And seeing those, verse 8, then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, John, also went in, he saw and believed. He saw this, the, the cloth there, and that convinced him that Jesus had risen from death. Now, some commentators kind of wonder whether it was that the, the, the cloth was um, kind of in the shape of Jesus' body still. And it's possible that uh, the passage doesn't say that. It is possible. Uh, But notice that little detail about the headcloth. It's folded up and put away. It wasn't needed anymore. Now, if we'd followed John's gospel all the way through, our minds would have gone back to John chapter 11 and Lazarus. When Lazarus, one of Jesus' friends, had died, Jesus goes to his tomb and says, Lazarus, come out. And Lazarus comes out with the cloth still around him. Not so with Jesus. He doesn't need those cloths anymore. He's risen not to die again. But the significant thing about Peter and John, the two of them going, was that in those days, in the Jewish court of law, two men, the testimony of two men, made evidence credible. Okay, so Mary by herself, we think antiquated, isn't it? But, but in those days, that wouldn't have been sufficient evidence. But two men going was... And as we read, the detail of it, doesn't it, it suggests the authenticity of it. Even the fact that, that John got there first. I don't think John was just being smug that he was a quick runner. He's including those details. It bears the weight of, of te- eyewitness testimony. They saw the grave clothes with no Jesus. The third bit of uh, evidence is the Old Testament scripture. So see, see verse uh, 9, we'll, I'll, I'll kind of read from verse 8, uh, middle of it. Um, he went in and saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. You see, just as um, Jesus had predicted not only his death but his resurrection, well, so had the Old Testament. The first half of the Bible had spoken of Jesus of the Messiah coming, he would not only die, but would rise again. So here's one example in Psalm 16. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not let your Holy One see corruption. Jesus' body wasn't going to corrupt. He was going to rise again. And there are numerous references to the fact that the Messiah, God's rescuing King, was going to live forever. That's why Jesus must rise from the dead. 
So, so we have, we've got the, the, the evidence of the empty tomb. We've got the evidence of eyewitness accounts. We've got the evidence of the Old Testament predicting these things hundreds, even thousands of years before they came to be. Fourth, we've got the evidence of the angelic witness. So in verse 11, we return to Mary, who's made her way back to the tomb. And then in verse 12, she then decides she's going to have another look. She stooped, excuse me, and looked into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting there, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. The angels, messengers from heaven, they don't actually say anything to Mary, as in they don't tell her stuff. They ask her a question. But the question I don't think is to actually try to gain information. They're not saying, oh, why are you weeping? I think we see in there a very, very gentle reproof, gentle rebuke. You see, from heaven's perspective, nothing is more out of place than tears at Jesus' empty tomb. Why are you crying? And then we see, uh, why are you weeping? And then we see that we move uh, very swiftly onto the, the fifth and clearest and best um, bit of evidence, which is that Jesus appears to her. So verse 14, having, seen, having said this, she turned uh, around and, and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Is that perhaps tears in her eyes, she can't see straight? Or actually, we often find this when people met with the risen Jesus, they didn't at first recognize him. But verse 15, then she said, then, sorry, Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Same question. Whom are you seeking? Supposing him, him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. It's a beautiful moment, isn't it? Mary. And in that moment, she knows that it's him. In a second, sorrow turns to joy as she meets with the risen Jesus. Now, we're just seeing in our verses today this appearance of Jesus to Mary, but later on in the chapter, you can even see it from the, the little heading in the Bible there, Jesus appears to the disciples. He uh, returns to them as well. And indeed, from the other Gospels, we, from elsewhere in Scripture, we, we see that he appeared to hundreds of others of people. Jesus, the risen Jesus, came to meet with people. And their eyewitness testimony is recorded for us here Five pieces of evidence showing that Jesus rose from the dead. An empty tomb. The eyewitness testimony of what they saw. Old Testament prophecies. Angelic witness and Jesus himself appearing. Jesus is alive. See the evidence. There is no other satisfactory explanation. Now down the pub with your friend who's watched a few Richard Dawkins videos on YouTube or something. They love to say things like, look, belief is what happens when there isn't evidence and you've got to take that wild leap in the dark. Belief is something that um, we do be, despite the evidence. 
But that's not what we see here. Belief is not baseless. It is based on the historical facts. John saw, John believed. And the call to us is to see the evidence and believe. If you're not, again, yet a Christian, please do know that, that Christianity isn't this wild leap in the dark. It is based on historical facts of Jesus Christ crucified and Jesus risen to life. And if Jesus rose again, that changes everything. That changes everything. And so do please keep looking. Keep thinking. If you have questions, please do come and speak to me at the end. But if you do believe, well, again, I hope this will help cement it for us. Because I think there are times when we can have doubts. Again, maybe you kind of walk into church one day and you just, you're seeing everyone kind of pottering about on a Sunday morning, going about their whatever they might be doing. You think, oh, that might be quite nice. And like, everyone else is doing that. Am I crazy coming here? Am I crazy to be basing my life upon the fact that Jesus rose from the dead? And indeed, real genuine Christians can have longer, lasting, deeper doubts as well. Again, can I encourage you to come back to the facts of the resurrection? If Jesus really did die and Jesus really did rise again, then everything's changed. We're not crazy. Okay, so Jesus rose, and, and, and I believe all the evidence points to that, but well, what difference does it make? Well, our second point here, I say believe and belong. I struggled with that heading, I don't like that heading. Um, let me try and explain what I mean by that heading. Believe and belong. Believe and enjoy a relationship with God. That's what I really mean. I was just trying to be clever with the headings. Believe and enjoy a relationship with God. Mary meets the risen Jesus and she believes. Back in chapter 10, uh, we looked at this a, a few weeks ago now. Jesus described himself as the good shepherd, the good shepherd who knows and loves his sheep. And he said this, that the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Well, here we see that in action. Jesus says, Mary calls her by name. She sees him. And when we see the evidence... And when we believe for the first time, well, we too enter that relationship with him. It's as if he calls us by name and we know him and we enjoy this relationship with him, the living Jesus. You see, Christians don't just honor the memory of someone dead. Christians don't just have his teaching living on within us. No, Christians are in a relationship with the living saviour. And it gets even sweeter in verse 17. So overcome uh, is Mary that it appears that she's kind of fallen, past fallen down and she's, she's clinging on to Jesus. In verse 17, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God, and your God. 
don't cling to me. And again, people kind of wonder, why not? How does this work? It could mean that look, Jesus is saying to her, look, I'm not actually ascending to my Father just yet. Okay, I'm going to be around. You'll see me again. It could mean that. It could mean, um, look, stop clinging to me. I've got more to do. I've got yet to be ascended to heaven. Or it could be saying, look, from now on, sight, touch, this isn't how you relate to me, but I'm going to send my Spirit to live in you. Whatever quite exactly he means, he's saying, don't cling to me. I've got a job for you. And he tells her to go and tell the other disciples that Jesus is alive. But see what Jesus tells her to tell the other disciples. It's wonderful. Look, look again, uh, midway through verse 17. Go to, my brothers, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. These are monumentally significant words. So far through John's Gospel, the disciples have been described as disciples, disciples, followers of Jesus. They've been described as servants. They've even been described as friends. They've been described as sheep. Here Jesus describes them as his brothers. Brothers. The crucified, risen king of all calls the disciples his brothers, family. And as Jesus' brothers... Jesus' father becomes their father. His God becomes their God. Through the gospel, John has repeatedly spoken about the incredible intimacy that he has with his heavenly father. The closeness, the knowledge, the relationship. And by his death and resurrection, Jesus has made it possible for his disciples and all of his disciples today to enjoy that same relationship with God. We have the same privileges as Jesus. We have life. That's what our series has been. Do you remember back in chapter 17, Jesus says, I've given you eternal life. What is eternal life? That you may know the Father and know me. And that is what Jesus brings by his death and resurrection. We are now, if you too are believing, we are brothers, we are part of the family with Jesus. And we enjoy that same relationship with God the Father that even he does. Again, if you're looking into Christian things, this is what Jesus brings. Life. Life with God. It's too good to be missed out on. And Christians, if, if your relationship at the moment has got a little bit stale, if things have got a little bit formulaic, you do your quiet times because that's what you always do, there's no ruling heart engagement at the moment. Can I encourage you to spend some time meditating again on the cross and the resurrection to see what Jesus has achieved for us. He has achieved that we would have this same relationship with the Father that he has enjoyed. What vibrancy that should bring to our lives with him. Don't settle for less. And finally, belong or kind of enjoy, enjoy and share. Again, I wonder whether there isn't just the smallest bit of rebuke in Jesus' words in verse 17, whether he's saying something like, don't cling to me, enjoying this joy of you knowing me while others are broken, not knowing the good news that I've risen. Go and tell them. Go and tell them I'm alive. 
And Mary does, verse 18. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. You see, the good news of Easter, that he is alive, is meant to be shared. This isn't a message for personal, private enjoyment only. This is a message to be shared widely. It is the most joyful and wonderful bits of news that there is. Jesus has risen from the grave. All of the evidence points to it. We get the empty tomb. We get the eyewitness testimony. We get the Old Testament scriptures predicting it. We see the angelic witness, and we see Jesus appearing to the people that they've recorded for us. All the evidence points to the fact that Jesus is alive. And then his death and his resurrection ensures that we can have life, that we can enjoy this relationship with him now and indeed beyond death because he has risen from death. What a message that we have to share with the world. And I wonder, who could you share that with even today? Not tomorrow. Who could you share that with even today? Have a think. Who could we tell that they too might indeed come to know that Jesus has risen for themselves? Jesus has risen. All the evidence points to it. Enjoy this relationship that he has secured. And let's tell others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your wonderful salvation plan. Our Lord Jesus, we praise you that you willingly and joyfully went about that work, dying in the place of your people, bearing our sin, so that we might have life. We praise you that you've risen from the, the dead and are now ascended to heaven. Thank you for all the work that you've done, that we may enjoy relationship with you and the Father for all eternity. Please would we see and believe. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.